Hello, one and all, and welcome to the 34th episode of the DC Comics News Podcast. We're a team of three this week. Um, get well soon, Kelly. Uh, good luck to Joe and Damien and everyone who's at SDCC. I'm not jealous at all. Not even slightly. I don't wish I could be there at all. And I'm lying through my teeth. But as always, I have with me two sterling companions. First of all, we have Brad. Brad, how are you? Good, good. How are you and guys all doing? Wishing we were at San Diego, apart from that. Yeah, good. me too, me too. <laughs> and we have Seth. Hi, Seth. Hey there, Steve. Hey, Brad. I'm doing well. Despite not being at San Diego Comic-Con, it is still sunny California in the middle of July. Very few things to complain about on a beautiful day. Absolutely. Listen, whenever the sunshine comes out, I'm happy because we don't see it that much over here. Whereas you, um, in where you live, lucky man, see it a lot more than I do. But the sun always shines in DC world, doesn't it, guys? Always. That's how Superman gets his powers. (laughs) It's the way it works, my friend. That's the way it works. And we've got a bit of Superman news uh, in the stories today and so much to cover. As always, we'll start off with the movie news. And first of all. It looks like, um, for anyone who might be interested in Batman, I, I think I've heard of the characters, fairly new characters, only gained 80 years. Uh, Matt Reeves' film looks like it will start on January 13th. So early next year in London, my hometown. I'll see if I can sneak into this one like I did back on the 89 one, even though I didn't get seen on it. Um, guys, uh, Brad, start with you. What do you think of the news that we finally have a starting date of sorts? Finally. Finally, finally. <laughs> I I love everything that makes this movie closer to uh, reality. Um, I'm really interested to see what Matt Reeves is going to do with it. And, uh, you know, he's been talking it up and planning it for so long now. I'm excited to see it all start come together. And I, I think uh, Robert Pattinson is going to surprise everybody. That's my prediction right now. And plus, you know, as the we get close to filming, we're going to know more about who some of these characters are and who's going to be playing them as far as the villains. So all news is good news. Full steam ahead. Seth? Yeah, when it comes to the start dates, I think it's really important just to get that date down. Mark it on the calendar. Make the commitment. And I also think it's important because there's still a need to finalize the the casting. You know, there's still a search going on for a Catwoman, a few other villains that they, they mention in the story that they say that they're still casting need for, both Firefly and Riddler. But while it can be difficult to make a final decision on those, once you set a date for filming, that can help sort of put the emphasis on making those decisions, finalizing any other aspects you need to, and then start counting down the days. Because I feel like any company that's done a major production knows that there's a, a time frame in which you put things together. And by making this announcement now, they've given themselves that sort of frame to work within. And knowing that, they can start making all the decisions they need to so they can start off, hopefully, on the right foot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's, I mean, they've been saying early 2020 for the longest time. Obviously, early 2020 can be January to June, really. It's the first half of the year. So finally having a month in play Um, by naming January means that something solid is happening. Uh, The script must be finalized. They cast the main man. 
So, yeah, we just need to find out who's going to be our Catwoman, Penguin, and, and whoever else is actually appearing in the story. And the fact we're finally going to get a noir detective Batman, which is something we've needed, I think so, at least for the longest time. Um, yeah, that's got me excited. Um, I'm happy about that. So, a date. Yes, everyone likes a good date. So, Superman. We mentioned him at the top of the show and how much sunshine is important. And sun is definitely the Superman we'll be getting, but it's a red sun. The classic Elseworld story is getting the animated movie treatment. Um, I'm excited by this one. What about you guys, Brett? Well, you said the right word when you said classic. I think this is a story that so many fans have loved for so long. And so many of these other classic Elseworld stories and DC stories in general are getting this animated treatment. I think it's it's due. Uh, so it should be pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. I think it makes total sense. Seth? I'm also really excited about this movie. Um, I, I felt like there had been uh, a bit of a gap between the original Elseworld stories when there was just a whole slew of them coming out and when this one picked up. Um, and when it did, it just seemed to bring back all of that sort of wonderful possibility and just changing one or two details uh, can so drastically impact who a character becomes. And Red Sun really did that so well as a graphic novel. And I've seen such success when it comes to all of the animated projects coming out of DC so far that I, I can't help but think to myself, oh, this is just going to be a really fun chance to see this great story put on the screen, acted out for me, and in many ways living out the ways that I interpreted all those images, except doing it in this really beautiful motion capture that I, I think the current animation has done an amazing job with. I also feel like it'll be a chance to sort of create that great tone that these books always do with that sort of atmosphere and lighting. And that that's something that I think it's hard to translate to a, a physical movie or a film or a miniseries uh, or anything similar to that. But when it comes to animated, there, there's a greater freedom. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how much of that they take advantage of when it comes to Red Sun. With these animated movies, you're so right, both of you, that they've got the scope to just be a little bit more daring. They've got no CGI budgets to worry about, no special effects, no pyrotechnics, stunts and whatever else. They can literally, just like with the comic books, just they can just run riot. They can use their imaginations to paint the picture on screen. And yeah, Brad, I, I, this is one of those Elseworlds stories that really lifted the bar raised the bar even higher and i'm glad that they've gone because they've only done the one elseworlds movie so far haven't they which is the uh gotham by gaslight which is which surprised me because that one did fairly well that it's taken so long to bring the second and i'm glad they're going with this one because again we've seen a different take on batman and batman's dominating everything this year um and even though i am uh, the biggest bat fan in the world i do want to see more i want to see red sun particularly i mean they sort of did a little bit with the supergirl season that's just finished um but very loosely so seeing the actual graphic novel but um i don't know if you guys agree they changed quite a bit in gotham by gaslight did any of you guys see the animated movie uh, and see the the big differences they made to the comic that is one that i have not seen yet i've not seen although i've heard great things about it it's really good but they did change the identity of the Ripper, which I'm kind of glad about because, like I said, there's Batman everywhere at the moment and so's Joker. Um, so the fact that they did change and it's it's a great, clever change 
Um, I do recommend, yeah, if you get the chance to see that one, it's a good, it's only about an hour and 10 minutes or so. Uh, well worth seeing. Really good, but not a direct adaptation. It's almost like an Elseworlds of the Elseworlds. <laughs> and they do, <laughs> yeah, they do something with the Robins as well, which is genius. So I do recommend that one. I did see Gotham by Gaslight. I really enjoyed it, um, but I did feel like what I had read in the books was different from the adaptation that I saw. And it actually made me think to myself, am I remembering this correctly? Are they doing this thing that that I just feel like I, I, I missed something? And then hearing you confirm for me that no, what, what you saw was actually, you know, a few little uh, twists and separations from the original book. Yeah. Let's me know that, OK, I wasn't just imagining it because um, I haven't had a chance to go back and read the book again. But um, the film was recent. I think I saw it in the last four to six months. It was one of the ones that when DC Universe came out, I thought to myself, oh, finally get a chance to, you know, sit down and, and plug in on some of these that I haven't had the chance to purchase or own outright or stream through another service. Um, so I thought that was a, a, a treat. But um, I do note the fact that there's been those variations. And I was actually thinking... The only other thing that came close was there was a I feel like there was a Justice League story in which. Um, oh, yes, that that was. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, kind of right. else world. It was like Superman was born in Mexico mm-hmm. and, and the vampire um, Batman sort of thing. Yeah, yeah and that right. was a really interesting version. I think that was the closest. But then I was having trouble tying it back to a book that it actually was based on. Do you remember that one being based on a book? Was it more I of a... I don't think it was, which is why I didn't really count as Nelson. But it, it counts as Nelson in a way because it is completely different takes on the character. So I think we're both right. But listen, Seth, stop doubting yourself. Um, you were correct. <laughs> you did remember that, right? They did change the movie. Well, I like to maintain a healthy amount of doubt. It always keeps me from that oh-so-arrogant side where I just think that I always know that I'm right. That can get me into some trouble. So, uh, but always appreciate the support, my friend. And uh, I have to remember that Justice League title because, Brad, if you haven't seen it, are you familiar with the film we're referring to? Uh, no, it, it sounds it sounds interesting. I could it, probably dig it up before the end of the show. Um, it's well, Justice you're that League. Fast, my friend. <laughs> um, it's called Tinternet Web Thing. Ah, Let's have that a look. Thing. That yeah, thing, yeah. what does the clever finding of the things? <laughs> Let's have a look. Justice League. Enter. All right, Justice League Doom, Justice League Fatal Five, Flashpoint, Throne Atlantis. Da, da, da. Oh, it's not on there. Weird. It was Gods and Monsters. Uh, okay. Justice League Gods, Gods and, and Monsters. Monsters. I think that was yep. based on a book. I'm pretty that does sound familiar, like the name of a Justice League book that I've seen in the stores. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so maybe Interesting. it was. Huh. Yeah. See, there you go. See, I must have missed an Elseworlds book too, which I hate myself for because I love Elseworlds. <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong, but I that that's kind of ringing some bells. I hope they end up doing the uh, Green Lantern, Batman, and the. Superman being raised by the Waynes and Batman Superman one. So those are uh, Speeding Bullet and uh, the Green Lantern one. Darkest Night, mm. I think. Something mm. like that. So, yeah, well, yeah the, the, the possibilities are in this. Now that Red Sun's coming, you're probably going to get a lot, lot, lot more Elseworlds stuff, which, hey, go for it. I'm happy with that. So something that we probably never will get, even though fans will not stop harping on about it, it's the Snyder Cut of the Justice League movie. 
And one piece of news which come out of the wonderful San Diego Comic Con, which none of us are at, mm-hmm. um, is the fact that they're launching a scavenger hunt with prizes based around Mr. Snyder's fabled but possibly non-existent movie. Guys, what do you think about this uh, crazy little bit of news? Brad? Uh, well, if I was at San Diego, I would probably take uh, take part in this. Uh, the prizes look kind of oh, like, yes. like I kind of want that Batman hat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it looks fun. And also, I didn't realize that they changed the score, that they took Junkie XL's score and didn't use it. Oh, so, yeah, because we reported on that on Dark Knight News, and it was a bit of a shocker. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, but, I'd, I'd like to hear what he had done. I wonder yeah. uh, if that could ever be released sometime in the future. So, But, yeah, I mean, this looks like uh, looks like a fun time. Seth? I also agree that it's a fun time. I think it's a really smart way to take advantage of the fact that there is this really undying interest in that Snyder cut. I mean, as you pointed out, Steve, it'll probably never get released, and that's not going to stop anyone from saying release the Snyder cut slap on a hashtag and make a post or comment about it if not just bring it up in a discussion with anyone who they believe will listen either DC Warner Brothers or anyone loosely associated with anything I mean basically if they could get one of the caterers to get a word into one of the executive producers or anybody close by and start a a telephone (laughs) I swear they would do it they'd be like hey dude you get the hot dogs huh here's 50 bucks start talking about Snyder Cut make it happen I really think I really think they're that committed and knowing that you've got this this sort of rabid frenzy already available just to be tapped why not add a little bit of flavor to Comic-Con. Why not follow up on, you know, the previous appearance by Zack Snyder when he first appeared at Comic-Con and was talking about things like Justice League. But, you know, now you're sort of like, people are waiting for something about it. They're always hoping something would be there. Give them some and, and make it something where it's not just like an announcement, but you're saying, hey, let's have a little bit of fun with the idea. Let's create this great scavenger hunt and let's let people sort of direct the energy that's always going to be frustrated without uh, a cut coming out or any news related to the idea. And instead, let them put that energy into a fun project that brings people together talking about it and allows it to to stay this healthy conversation and one instead of one that could maybe get a little bit uncomfortable or unpleasant. But I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And it's uniting the fans in a much more positive way as well. So listen, have some fun, find some uh, clues, win some prizes and keep keep the conversation going. But I've always been the kind of person that however unlikely things are, never say never because, hey, listen, we, we got a Firefly movie. Um, we finally did see uh, something which no one ever thought would happen in getting the Richard Donner color of Superman 2. And Ridley Scott said that Blade Runner, when it came out in 1982, wasn't the film he wanted made. He got to make a director's cut 20 years later, and then he finally got the final cut, which is the masterpiece, the vision he wanted to make, released too. And then we even got a a sequel to Blade Runner, which, again, people said would never happen. And now we've got Doomsday Clock. So never say never. And what was released... Um, even though I personally am the biggest Danny Elfman fan in the universe, I also would love to hear JXL's original score for the Justice League movie. And he did make a lot of it. He um, did a great thing on YouTube where he um, actually showed his music making process and how he developed some of the tracks for the film. 
So a lot of that music did get made. So yeah, I'm with you, Brad. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So and forget storming uh, Area 51. Let's storm Warner Brothers and get the uh, get the Snyder Cut released. Release it. <laughs> Hashtag power. <laughs> uh, it does show how influence how much influence fans have these days of social media and things like that now that we can organize like this it, it does force the studios to listen to us so you know maybe it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they will release the snyder cut so oh, listen yeah. we got a, a two more seasons of uh, lucifer after it got cancelled so yeah. we've seen a hell of a lot of Matt Ryan as Constantine, sadly not in his own show, but he's appeared on Arrow. He's appeared on Legends Tomorrow. He's back again next season. So fans um, with positive messages, not making remaking Star Wars or remaking the final season of Game of Thrones. That's just like grow up people. Seriously, stop throwing your toys out of the pram <laughs> if you just didn't like it. Um, but something positive like getting a film made which wasn't done properly. I can sort of get it. I can sort of get it. But, you know, I let's can also talk about that. Uh, go on, go, no, go, 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 go. We want to hear. I was also going to say that, uh, you know, there there is also this this benefit that can come from acknowledging how much response each of these events continues to generate. Yes. Because if they find in any way that that's growing, then that can be enough of an interest. I, on the other hand, will also add that I, I won't stop saying it'll probably never get made because I know to an extent yeah. it's like pouring gasoline on the fire for those mm -hmm. who say, keep telling me no, keep telling me never, keep telling me I can't. And I want to give them that incentive because I also feel like that's something that they're going to have to keep working against. But it is also something where if you really want it, you want to hear someone saying, I don't know if you can do this. Prove me wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a, a point where you don't have to prove people right or prove them wrong. But the other way, there, there's a chance to sort of take what they're saying and go, OK, if that's what the mindset is, let's change the mindset. You know, and keeping that in mind, I, I think can always be a great sort of rallying cry. This will never happen. Make the movie. They'll never make the Snyder Cut. Release the Snyder Cut. They'll never. <laughs> yeah. It's red flags to a bull, isn't it? When you get to, exactly. it, to anybody, it's like that whole child mentality. You tell the child no, that's the more they'll, they'll want to do it when you say no. But you say, hey, hey go ahead. Look, oh, I'm allowed to. I'm not interested anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. And I've always been that one who's yeah, not no. afraid when I think someone needs that extra push to go, I don't know, man. Maybe you can't make it. And they're like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I bet you I can. Show me. Show me. Because <laughs> yeah. that can be the best incentive. <laughs> well, one film that we think um, is going to be made has just been pushed back a little bit again. Uh, Eric Davis, the man behind Fandango, um, apparently was chatting to Andy Machetti about the Flash movie. And Mr. Machetti said, oh, I uh, can't talk about that. I actually want to take a few months uh, after It's Chapter 2. And then I'll think about the flash. So again, Brad, please tell me your thoughts <laughs> on this one. Uh, here we come back to the flash movie. I think every week there's a new little tidbit of stuff that we have to talk about <clears throat> when it comes to this, but really I can't blame him for wanting to take a month or two off because that uh, it is about a month out now, maybe six weeks. So the promotional push for that is really going to, ramp up in the next few weeks and he, i'm sure he and the cast are going to be so busy so i don't blame him for you know needing to step back and i mentioned before that 
him as the director, this could be like a palate cleanser for him. So maybe he needs to clear his head a little bit before he jumps into the flash. So I, as much as I would like him to start immediately, I, I understand where he's coming from. Seth? I also completely understand. I mean, it seems only normal to want to separate yourself from completing one project and, and getting a certain amount of healthy distance from it before turning around and directing your energies towards any sort of new idea. And one that I think in many ways would be completely, if not polar opposite, or at least so different in so many ways that you would want to have that that change, that that fresh palate cleanse, period. Let whatever needs to finish processing after you've completed it to and whatever you had to do to, to get that project done and then know that it's finished and you can move on from it uh, in all facets. Also then how to allow yourself the time to decompress from that and then recharge. Um, you know, it reminds me of what they're always telling uh, any writer, no matter what age. You can always draw from the well. It's a great thing to do. You have a well. You create one through all the things that inspire you. But there comes a time when you've drawn from the well so much, you have to stop. And you have to refill the well. And that's when they tell these different uh, creative uh, types, whether they're writers or other artists, to go out and experience the world. Take in all these different things that are part of your inspiration because that's what informs your work. It would only make sense. He, he needs this amount of time and would ask for at least a few months, if not maybe more. But it does continue to add to this lengthy process, which has now become the slowest movie ever to be made, The Flash. <laughs> the fastest man alive. The slowest, <laughs> the slowest movie ever. <laughs> That's when it comes to the fastest man alive, we had to make the slowest movie ever made to do oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's good. I like that. But I think The Rock might argue that maybe Black Adam's slightly slower still. Ten All years on who later. Gets to the theater first. <laughs> yeah, valid. That's actually valid because yeah, we might still be waiting till 2030 for the Flash. He got stuck in a time loop. So yeah, I, listen, I really want to see this film. Um, Flash is a great character. Uh, one thing that I did like about uh, Justice League was his uh, appearance, the way he played it, the, everything about Flash was was cool. I, I did like that a lot. So hopefully his contract's been renewed. He's still going to come back and play the role. We've got a screenwriter. We've got a director now as well. Am I right? Or am I still dreaming about all the things that have come and gone with this movie over the years? But yeah, um, it's hard to keep up. It is. It's, it's hard to keep it's, it's like waiting for issues of Doomsday Clock. You, hang on, what do I remember? What, <laughs> uh, what? Hey, sorry, pardon. But listen, if we get a Flash movie at the end of it, even if it's in 2035 and uh, the replicants have taken over the world, Skynet's bombed us all into dust and uh, metal men are real and stuff like that, then hey, you know, where we're going, we don't need roads. So on that note, that's the movie news handled and we have to go have a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. 
How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Okay, we're back, and we've talked movies, so now we're going to talk about TV and streaming news. The first first story has got me grinning from ear to ear, because in recent weeks, all of us have been talking about Kingdom Come. And apparently, Mr. Brandon Routh is coming back, not just as Ray Palmer the Atom, but as Superman in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. And latest rumours state that he may be playing the older Kingdom Come Superman. So, guys, um, I'm excited as hell. What about you two, Brad? What do you think about this bit of news? Yeah, I'm excited. I would, I, I, I think he'll he'll have fun stepping back into that role. Uh, you know, and the fact that it could be the Kingdom Come version makes me really excited to see what else they're going to throw into this Crisis on uh, Infinite Earths crossover. Uh, and I, I just wonder how they're going to play it with him as Superman and Ray Palmer. That they look alike. Huh? Yes, they could, have, exactly. they could have. They could have so much fun with that because he seems to be an actor that does have fun with things like that. You know, so uh, I think it'll be a good time. Seth, I think this is a brilliant move. It's one of those things that I absolutely just respect for the kind of self-awareness that so many CW projects have when they bring any element from the past into the present storylines and know that fans are going to be aware of all of that history that comes with it. Um, It it really made a difference for me when they brought John Wesley Shipp back and they had him on the Flash TV series. Um, For me, that was really exciting and a lot of fun. Knowing that they're doing this with Brandon is great for me in a few ways. One, because I felt like it was just a difficult time for him after Superman returns. And I was so happy to see him come back as Ray Palmer. And I feel that Brad, you're really right that there can be a lot of tongue in cheek that's available here. Um, If they could make any sort of alludes to any moments in the Superman returns film and yet have a little bit of lighthearted play with it. I think it could be really great. I also think it's great for him to put on the costume at the time that he's at in his life. I, I read an interesting story about how, he made the decision to move over from uh, traditional eating to paleo. And part of it was based on his experience when he tried to bulk up and get big to play Superman and Superman returns. And from what I understand, uh, the process he was using was a lot of like heavy calorie, heavy weight. It really did a lot of damage to his body. And it was only after he'd started changing his diet and making changes to his workout regimens that he felt like he had, sort of gotten back the healthy body he knew. 
and, and knowing that sometimes they still tease him a little bit on Legends of Tomorrow about his uh, bulletproof coffee or uh, other cute things that he does that are part of his diet, I, I feel like this is a healthier Brandon who will be putting on the suit and that with that healthier perspective, he can not only have a bit of fun with who he was, but also use that to inform this Kingdom Come version that hopefully he'll get to play. And really, I don't care which version he gets to play. I just love the chance for a guy to put the suit back on and, and do so in, in a healthier way and in a way that gives him a chance to pay homage to his past and yet also sort of set a new tone for what it looks like when Brandon Routh is wearing uh, Superman's tights and cape. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I've got to respect any actor who suffers for their art that way. And people have got a lot of things to say about Superman Returns, but whatever criticisms they throw at the movie, Brandon Routh's portrayal can't be one of them because one of the good things about that film was him, as, in my opinion, at least. I thought he was great as both Clark and as Superman. Um, and he had huge shoes to fill. Following on from Christopher Reeve, I do not envy anybody taking on that responsibility but um, it's so funny I, I love talking to you guys because it's brilliant speaking to people who have a brain because um <laughs> when this was first touted and i uh, speaking to some other friends and uh not colleagues so much because guys on the website tend to be fairly switched on but people saying oh yeah but that's so confusing you've got a superman on legends of tomorrow as well and you've got Henry Cavill and uh, people are just going to get really confused. And so my answer to that is, yeah, George Reeves looks exactly like Christopher Reeves, doesn't he? <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, please, God, it's Christ on infinite Earths. It's little Earths with the slightly the same and slightly different. Everyone's something different. And this is, to me, a way that legitimizes every Superman we've seen thus far. It just, it's yeah. a great tribute and homage to every single person who's put on that red and blue suit yeah. and giving Brandon Routh a chance to, to, to don that costume again and have another play in that universe. I just think it's great. Have some fun. These are movies. This isn't like Great Expectations or Shakespeare that you've got to oh, enjoy it. You know what I mean? Why are people <laughs> so... Oh, I just don't know. I, 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 I despair. And... Um, yeah, um, this is the kind of thing I, I've got to deal with. People get confused about too many supermen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? How many footballers' names do you know off by heart? Anyway, I'll change this. <laughs> so, uh, Brandon Ralph, I salute you. And other things I have to salute is Entertainment Weekly's great pictures of the cast of the Arrowverse for their uh, recent issues. Uh, they're looking at the relaunch and the new costumes and new looks and, and some beautiful images have come out of this photo shoot of Stephen Amell, Grant Gustin, Ruby Rose and Melissa Benoist and oh, great, great art. I mean, this is like a perfect marriage of comics, kinetics and photography. I love these pictures. Brad, what do you think of the Entertainment Weekly photo shoot? Yeah, I, I I agree with everything you said. Uh, and I love that the Arrowverse still has the punch to make uh, to make it as a cover story on Entertainment Weekly, that it still has that much popularity. 
it's great to see because with Arrow ending and things like that, you know, it's it seems like Arrow is definitely going to end on a high note, not going out when it got when it overstayed its welcome. And, you know, these other shows still have a lot of life in them. So uh, with these images and, you know, just everything that I see about Batwoman just makes me want to see that show more, makes me more excited. And oh, it's yes. no different. So, uh, yeah, I really I really dug the pictures and I can't wait to read the article. Seth? Great, great pictures. Really looking forward to reading the article as well. Couldn't help but cheer when you said CW still got it. Like they still have the ability to to make an impact on an Entertainment Weekly cover and get this big spread. And these these pictures show it. These are absolutely gorgeous. I love the ones that are uh, in motion and have that. I think in photography, it's the long exposure. I think they call it where you have this blurred motion effect, whether it's Supergirl with the chains canary just sort of like making some really subtle movements or that i think it's going to be my favorite the batwoman shot where she's kneeling with like she's just dropped down from a height um yeah those are great stuff but even the ones where they're just standing or uh you know looking at the camera with this sense of motion all of it is really well captured it starts out with that first one of you know, the the three main where you've got Arrow, Batwoman and Flash, but the rest of the pictures I thought were all just gorgeous. And it's a great way to sort of get fans excited for what is really going to prove to be, I, I think, one of their biggest seasons for all of these shows. Uh, I don't know how everyone else feels about that. I definitely think the potential's there for sure for that to be uh, to, for that to be a reality. Um, with that crossover, I mean, what could exactly. be bigger? What could be bigger? I, I've got to say as well that I... Um, chatted with Stephen Amell briefly and uh, attended his panels at the uh, May London uh, MCM Comic Con and uh, I I commented well I just thought he looked really really tired and really really stressed but in these pictures is it me or is that longer hair or or something he looks like five six years younger he looks incredible (laughs) in these shots and um, the, the, the hairline with Melissa she actually looks a little bit older a little bit wiser and more mature um katie lots can do no wrong i could just look at her all day um and ruby rose is batwoman end of she is batwoman from the trailers from the photographs everything else yeah well, that's probably the show i'm looking forward to the most apart from uh, Stephen Earl's final season as arrow so i'm really really excited by that uh the pictures are great the color the lighting the movement the blurring it's superb really really good stuff and entertainment weekly that's a big mag um if they're throwing this kind of attention at the arrow shows yeah great seth and he does look so young i mean he really i almost hope that this is a byproduct of him making the decision taking the weight off his shoulders yeah and just sort of knowing that he's going to make his final mark when it comes to this project Uh, i'm hoping that's what it is if not please steven i'm more than happy to do that crazy salmon ladder thing, if that's what it takes to look that young or shave five or six years, it's going to be pathetic for the first like six years of me doing it. But, you know, if that's what it takes to shave five or six years, I'll do it. Is it the diet? I'll eat kale. <clears throat> I'll eat kale. No, um, whatever it is, yeah. let, let, let me know, because right now I look at those pictures and think I'll do. Looks great. I'll do some things to pull that off. Not surgical, but I'll I'll do some things because he looks great. A uh, surgical uh, band might work for me, but uh, apart from that, not a lot else. 
Oh dear. <laughs> so that's that's good news. And sadly, we got some very tragic news. And this, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, this is like the worst kind of news. I mean, when when you lose an old actor like like we did last week, uh, but he he lived this time. But now we obviously had reports that uh, Warren Appleby, one of the main stunt guys on the Titan show, uh, lost his life during the making of a stunt for the series. And the show's been put on hold temporarily while that's all, all looked at. And um, speaking on behalf of DC Comics News, Dark Knight News and the entire industry, our love, thoughts and sympathy go to his family, his loved ones, his friends, and of course, everyone who is present on the set. Um, Brad, tragic news, my friend. What did you make of this story? Yeah, it was terrible to hear. Uh, you know, like you said, our condolences to his his friends and family, and it's just it's just terrible to hear. And and it's luckily it's something that happens rarely, but when it does, it just has that much more impact. And uh, you know, it's just it, it's a. It, it's a shame that it happened on a DC Universe show, too, because there's so much up in the air right now about the streaming service and, you know, what's going to happen once they, you know, uh, they cancel Swamp Thing. But Titans had so much news and so much casting for the second season. It seemed to be really firing on all cylinders. And it's just and this tragedy is, is going to be a setback. And it's just it's just sad all the way around. So what did you think, Seth? Really appreciate the uh, the thoughts you both share. I really think uh, it's important to keep in mind that, you know, this is someone who devoted their career to doing dangerous work and that no family can ever prepare for what the, the cost of that might be. Um, so, Steve, Brad, really great words. Um, really just a just a tragedy. You know, clearly this, uh, you know, the, the gentleman, the coordinator, Warren Appleby, it points out 25 year career in television and motion pictures. He, he really. I'm sure met with, worked with, and made an impact on so many different writers, producers, actors, anyone that he came in contact with as that person who brought to life what on page might seem impossible. It's also, you know, just a challenge with the details about this story simply because it was it, the incident that cost his life was actually during a testing process in a staging area, and that everything appeared to be planned. A car flips on its side, which occurred as planned, but somehow there was an unknown piece of metal from an unknown source. There's an investigation into how this could happen. It, it's, you know, it's a challenge because the, the purpose of the testing is important. It, it could have actually cost more lives if this was something that was done during uh, an actual live shoot. But it's tragic that during this testing, something happened that was unpredictable. And the consequence was the loss of a very talented, uh, you know, special effects person. And I also think it makes a lot of sense just looking at that really important detail. 25 years of experience, a production would want to stop and close down and think for a minute for two reasons. One, out of respect for what it means for the team and for this man's family and to allow the grieving process to occur without any sort of interruptions or any outside influences. But also, that's going to be a real challenge to replace someone with that amount of history. Someone who has been working in the industry for that long and with that kind of rapport, not only with the stunt team, but the rest of uh, the filming crew, that's going to be something that 
you're going to have to make a very thoughtful decision and an important one in order to uh, not only bring someone in who can do the kind of work he did with the experience that he had, but also how to build this new team and rapport around something as dangerous as, as these stunts, uh, as evidenced by this story, can clearly be. I, I feel like it's, it's something that, you know, is a challenge to talk about and yet at the same time is important to be noted because there's been so much positive news. There's always risks associated. You hate to think of what the cost can be. And in these moments, it, it brings to light just how many people's lives are involved and so severely impacted just by the process of trying to get one of these projects completed from start to finish. Absolutely. Um, a huge mm, debt of gratitude and respect to everyone in the stunt industry. Um, sometimes these guys are the unsung heroes and the people who are really putting their lives on the line every single day for our entertainment. And for 25 years, uh, Warren Appleby, we, we thank you and let your legacy be as great as your career was. And yeah, that's that's all we can really say. Thank you for your hard work and uh, may your memory live on and the show must go on, I guess. So on more positive news, um, Supergirl fans will be overjoyed to hear that not only is uh, Mr. Shot, young Wynn, coming back to the series after his uh, hugely successful stint on Broadway, but the lovely Miss Tessmacher! is becoming a series regular next season <laughs> too. So guys, that's got to that's got to cheer everybody up, right? Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I think the Jeremy Jordan's character sometimes seemed like they didn't know what to do with it at certain parts. So the fact that they're bringing him back, it makes me think that they have something in mind that maybe they never got a chance to do before. So I'm I'm excited to see where they go with that. And I would say, you know, I would say the same thing about uh, uh, Andrea Brooks. Her character was always so, always something that I thought that, oh, she should be in it more. So I'm kind of glad to see that. And it was kind of a wasted opportunity, too, that they should use her more. So it, it's cool to see that she's promoted to a regular. And I wonder how they're going to use that character story in the broad scheme of things, too. So, yeah, it makes me curious. Seth? I think it's uh, great announcements for both of them. One, I, I also agree, it didn't seem like they always knew how to best take advantage of Wynn. His character has some great history. There are so many elements, uh, a lot of potential storylines. But then there's also a conflict because he was the intelligent guy. He was the, the smart one of the group until Brainiac showed up. And then it gets also uh, a challenge to sort of, well, which sort of awkward cerebral person are we going to follow in this story having them sometimes have overlapping uh or stories that where they work together could be helpful but it, it was a cast of characters where it was difficult to always provide enough storylines for everyone it seemed like win wasn't getting quite so many as could be told so i hope that bringing him back we get to learn more about who else might be involved in his life did he happen to maybe date another supervillain because between his dad and a few of his romantic choices, it's been a challenge for Wynn. So I think there's just so much potential available there. And then, uh, yes, I'm not even going to try and replicate not only Steve, but uh, Lex Luthor's version of calling for Miss Tessmacher. But 
I do agree that she is someone that I wanted to see more of during the regular season. And I love that in the final few episodes, she actually started to play that much bigger role and that you had this feel of her working behind the scenes and, and, and being so pivotal, especially with the many incarnations that exist when it comes to Miss Tessmacher. So I think they're both great characters to bring back for season five. I know it mentions that there had been a hope that we would see an appearance by Wynn in season four, which didn't occur. Hopefully that can be addressed in some way to the fans' pleasure or satisfaction or in some way to the story. But really just some fun announcements. And I mean, with Supergirl, it was something that when I signed on the first season, I had no idea how much this character and how much this cast would really make such an impact on me. But I cheer at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm really proud of just so many of the great topics it's covered, so much of the real world that it puts into its stories, uh, including when, and Tess is part of that, is just a, an extra bit of icing I won't complain about. You can even make it into fun little shapes like flowers or, you know, Toy Man's Kid. Origami. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I... I... Totally agree with everything you both said. But Jeremy Jordan, Win to me was probably, I'm not even going to lie, my favourite character in Supergirl. I just thought the way he played the character was great. And introducing Brainy, I could feel that Brainy was being introduced as someone to play off him and to replace him for a while. Because I, I heard the whole thing about the Broadway stuff and I knew that he was either going to leave or only appear in certain episodes. And the fact that he was away for all of the season, they sent him off to Argo City to do whatever. But the fact that he's coming back makes me happy. I mean, nothing against uh, Brainiac 5, but I just thought that when being a human character for a start was just so much more believable. And I saw a lot of myself in him. He was... Uh, not very confident he was a bit shy he was a bit nerdy but he was actually a, a, a really lovely guy which is i hope something that that people see in anyone who's a bit awkward or uncomfortable or socially um awkward that we are still human beings and, and we do deserve a, a, a some time and some some effort and, and do talk to us and sometimes we put on this brave front and be the clowns or be the jokers and be the laughers but it's honestly just our uh, way of being Batfink's shield of steel so the bullets don't harm us so it, I, I'm so glad to see him back and as for Andrea Brooks as Miss Tessmarker she was first introduced as adorable lovely ditzy and then she blossomed she became a scientist she helped out uh, Lena Luther, and then you saw her dark side. I mean, she's played like five different iterations of Test Marker in the last couple of seasons alone. So, series regular, good on you, sweetheart. You deserved it, and I cannot wait to see even more Shades of Eve. Um, yeah, really happy with that. So, um, yeah, good news in the world of Supergirl. Oh, what happened there? Did someone drop the mic? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Then but I'm going to drop the hear mic. That little... <laughs> I'm going to drop the mic drop it, and mate. take us to an ad. Mic is dropped. Time to hear from our sponsors. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DC News at checkout. That's DC 
N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. We are back again. It's episode 34 of the DC Comics News Podcast. Um, already we've had movies, TV and streaming news. But now we go back to the beginning, to where everything started. The printed page. The four colour magic and marvels that are comic books. And we've got some great comic book news this week. Obviously, San Diego Comic Con is in full swing. Hi guys. Hi Damien. Hi Joe. Hi everyone who's at Comic Con. Wish we were there. You lucky, lucky devils. But um, obviously, we talked about Batman's induction and being the first ever inductee into the uh, Comic-Con Hall of Fame. So I just had to say that that actually did happen this week. And Bat Buddy, we love you. We're proud of you. Hollywood Walk of Fame. Now the Hall of Fame to Brad Seth. Are we proud of our pointy-eared friend or what? (laughs) Well-deserved. Well-deserved immensely proud couldn't couldn't go to a better cape crusade absolutely so congratulations batman and congratulations to batman writer tom king a writer who divides the crowd i'm uh, in the populace that loves uh, mr king's work including his divisive batman run of recent months and uh, heroes in crisis i'm a fan of both of those series immensely but he's won the eisner 2019 for best writer on all of the aforementioned titles brad what do you think about this award news i'm a big fan of his writing uh i love mr miracle and i i love at least the first uh, a few issues of Heroes in Crisis. It, it ran out of steam a little bit for me there, but uh, those first few issues I just uh, absolutely love. So I, I do think that he definitely deserves it. And if you haven't read Mr. Miracle, please do yourself a favor. Go pick it up and read it. Absolutely. Same way with the Swamp Thing uh, Winter Special. Pick that up, too. Both very, very worth your time. And I, I congratulations to Tom King. I think he deserves it. Seth? Congratulations indeed, and well-deserved congratulations. I've really been impressed with the way Tom King has not only put his imprint on comics, but in doing so, I feel is really, for me at least, changed the way I think about storytelling, the way I look at how an issue should start and end, and everything that it should include um in that one single issue or as part of a a larger story and the things that I've seen and read by him, whether it's Batman, Mr. Miracle, Heroes in Crisis, I feel that that influence from the very first page till the very last panel, I've been really impressed with everything he's provided. I was so thankful when unbeknownst to uh, her, my wife got me the collected Mr. Miracle. Granted, it's the soft cover. I know, the hardcover is going to include some more fun stuff, but simply having a piece of that great story that I loved reading when I did and being part of this great journey, which anyone who's picked up uh, Batman 75 or read any of the 75 issues beforehand has enjoyed or experienced what he's doing with Batman. I, I feel like he came in to comic books with a mission and he's been really consistent with delivering what he believes this world looks like and the stories that he feels it still has yet to tell. 
and the way he mines them is really impressive too, especially when I think about what he did with Mr. Miracle, where he brought a lot of his personal life in. And I loved in an interview, and it was with him and another writer, and my brain's unable to recall who the other writer he was talking with was. But he just started, to, you know, honestly saying, I really feel that there comes a point when you're so deep in the process that you just start drawing from your own personal life because it's the closest sort of human, you know, touchstone that you can provide for the characters. And his willingness to be that vulnerable and talk about some really intense things that in many ways I, I feel like mirrored his own experiences, uh, not only coming home from serving overseas, but the work that he did and also the responsibilities and then trying to translate to a, a modern civil or civilian lifestyle uh, was so beautifully reflected in things like Mr. Miracle and his ability to embrace just the complete fantastical of Batman. It, it's really been a pleasure. I, I think it's a completely deserving recipient. I feel that he probably has a few more Eisner awards in his future, but that could just be me. Um, for no, right I, now, I, I think it's... So. Yeah, for right yeah. now, I definitely It's do. definitely not just you, Seth. No, Wonderful. Just you. Um, then I am among the chorus saying, this is a man who's earned this award this year, and I believe will continue to earn it in years to come, because what I've seen so far says there's a lot of promise, potential, and we're only beginning to tap it. Yeah, absolutely. And when a writer divides the crowd... To me, that's almost better than receiving totally universal praise because it shows that his work is thoughtful, it's layered, it's deep, and it resonates differently for different people. Um, sometimes it'd be really boring if everyone loved everything and everyone was happy with everything, and it's just unrealistic. I know for a fact, I mean, being editor on two websites. One of my writers hasn't been enjoying Tom King's run on Batman. He thinks it's far too surreal, far too cerebral, far too... Um, you have to reflect back on everything that's gone before. They just want to read a comic book. Another one of my writers says, oh my God, it's great because now he's read this, written this in this issue. Things that happen five or six issues back make so much more sense. This is really clever. This is really thoughtful work. And I can see both perspectives, whereas I'm a bit more of a total comics nerd where i love tips of the hat and throwbacks to stories from five weeks five months five years five decades ago not everyone feels the same way so i can understand both aspects but then like you said seth he'll come out with something as revolutionary as mr miracle which is like unlike almost anything i've ever read before and he'll just put himself and his soul and his life and his family into it. And seeing a character who's a new god, uh, born on a distant world, able to escape from any kind of death trap, and yet he feels trapped in his own existence at times. And seeing him go from uh, that to warrior to leader in battle to seeing his wife give birth to their first child in the space of 12 mind-bending issues was great and then he can do a one-off story in the something special which just is totally true to something as a character but it's a totally fresh take on him and still feels as part of the whole something canon that it fits in with everything that's gone before i mean this to me is the sign of, of a truly talented writer. And I'll quite happily pick up anything with his name on it if it continues to be of that quality. So again, I'm with you two, both of you that, well done. Um, congratulations, well-deserved. And I'm looking forward to many more. Um, sad that you're not going to finish your Batman story in the pages of Batman, 
but I'm glad you're getting to finish it in the pages of Batman Catwoman. And I have already told everyone on Dark Knight News that no, I'm reviewing that. So <clears throat> stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the power of editorial decisions. That's the privilege nice. that comes with, you know, position yeah. and stature, my and friend. And one more title. It. Well, it's also one more title I don't really have time to read or review, but I'm not going to let anyone <laughs> else have it. So there. <laughs> uh, wonderful. And speaking of wonderful, um, though our friend uh, Matthew may not agree, because in some respects I do agree with him, we are finally going to see the return of the Birds of Prey, which is genius marketing from DC as far as I'm concerned with the movie coming. And Harley Quinn is part of the roster, but conspicuous in her absence is Miss Barbara Gordon. Um, Brad, what do you think about the news of the new Birds of Prey comic? Uh, I agree with you that it's great marketing. And I, it didn't come to a surprise to me because I figured that generally when they have a movie coming out, they'll relaunch a series. Barbara Gordon missing? That's interesting. I'm just wondering if maybe that'll be like the first arc, and then somehow she'll come in for the second arc. So you know, we'll Ooh, see. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's the whole, the crux of the whole first arc is where is she? Maybe they have to find her. So, um, but yeah, uh, Brian Azzarello, uh, he's kind of hit or miss with me, but most of the time he hits. So I'm, I'll be curious to see what he does uh, with the characters. Uh, so yeah, this might be a book that I'll be picking up for sure. Seth? One that I'm really excited about too, and can't help but agree that it's really smart timing regarding, uh, the announcement that, you know, Birds of Prey, the film will be coming out soon and matching up this title to begin taking advantage of, and also feeding some of that interest and frenzy. Um, also sounds like a, a, a great, storyline that they're uh, introducing the idea of harley post suicide squad after the title ended in january and, and now meeting up with this <clears throat> sounds like collision with black canary and then also the huntress but interesting as you po both pointed out the absence of barbara i would like to see how that's and if it's resolved what sort of path we end up going on in order to see that will there be a an initial story arc will the initial story arc be about these first sort of three or four characters you know working things out and then afterwards going we didn't do that so great wouldn't it be great if we had some help huh anybody know or if they you know keep the history and there's that feeling of like we could do this better if we had barbara who's in touch with barbara how do we get in touch with barbara and whatever path needs to be taken in order to get to barbara because it could also be just a lot of fun. However, they, I think they make the take. I think the fun part will be just sort of bringing these characters and establishing how their dynamics will be in these first couple of issues, but then also sensing the need that they're not fully complete until they do have Barbara Gorda as part of the group. Overall, I think it's just a really smart move, and I'm looking forward to the type of stories uh, they can tell with this introduction without barbara and then hopefully bring her into the fold later great stuff uh, another thing apart from the fact that sometimes we all live in each other's brains is sometimes when you guys come out with stuff that i'd never actually considered before um brad like you said maybe that's just the first story arc so we can get harley settled and barbara would come in or maybe like you said seth um hey this isn't quite working we need barbara that, that's both things i hadn't actually considered so thank you for that 
mm. food for thought and <laughs> it's fired my crazy synapses in a way too what if maybe barbara's not there on purpose because harley is i mean let's not forget what mr j did to babs uh, maybe seeing harley accepted as part of the team is the final straw and that's why she does not want in and maybe she sees that Harley's changed. Maybe she sees the growth and then she does come back into the fold. I mean, there's so many ways it could go. So, um, yeah, cool. I, I like the way you both made me think. Um, I'm actually <laughs> a little bit happier about that now because I was thinking, oh, is this just clever marketing? Are they just throwing Harley in because it's that's the way it is in the film? But actually, what comics are about and just really clever storytelling. So thank you, guys. I was actually a little bit sceptical about this series at first. But, um, yeah, great minds. And there's two of them on this podcast with me. I'll switch mine on um, <laughs> in the next couple of hours. And hopefully Keep it on get the sunny side, working. my friend. Yes, absolutely. Keep thank it on you the sunny that. side of the street, this one. Uh, every now and then, it's nice to be proven wrong. Yeah, good. I like it. So, um being proven wrong um certain people in the comics industry will say one sentence which is absolute genius and then come out with something that makes me just think what are you on and recently a certain mr didio has said that he's really upset about how popular facsimile editions and reprints are and that they're out selling new titles um reading this article i have to be with the writer of the article and saying, listen, some of these classic comics are impossible to get hold of in their original form. They're vintage stories, sought after stories and classics. And to some readers, these are brand new stories. If DC Comics are selling, what the hell does it matter if it's something brand new or something that's been repackaged for a brand new audience? But hey, that's just me. Brad, what do you feel about this whole situation with facsimile editions and should they or should they not be back in the public eye? Uh, I kind of agree with him in the fact that I want people to read new stories. He's excited about telling these new stories. And really, DC is in a really good spot for telling good stories right now. So I understand his frustration. Why aren't more people reading the books? You know, But on the flip side of that, you got to understand it's a business. And if the facsimile editions are selling, then then you have to put them out. That's just that's just the nature of it. And and if it gets people in stores and gets people reading different books, then uh, then absolutely you have to do it. And it's uh, a necessary evil, I guess. Uh, that might be a little strong term. Uh, and and I think Steve, you hit on something good. Is that a lot of times people haven't had a chance to read these stories, so it's 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 their new stories to them. So why not introduce them to all these great stories? So. I think there's things that you have to do, even if, if running a business, you have to do it even if you don't want to do it. And I think Dan's just going to have to suck it up and put out these facility editions because they are selling. Seth? I'm really uh, a little bit confused uh, a bit by this story because isn't the goal to sell comics? Exactly. Right, I'm just pausing to just, you know, yes, thank you. Because uh, in my brain, I'm just thinking, let me just see if there's a moment in which I have any doubt of that. No, even spoken aloud, that thought is still valid. Also, how do how does anyone who was not alive 30 or 40 years ago access those comics without either selling all of their blood or making other some sort of kidney or surgery related, you know, 
financial transaction in order to access some of these books. Some of these books were only printed in small amounts. Some were part of the chaos that existed when there was newsstand and direct market. And there's been all these different times where, you know, distributors were doing sorts of funny things. So not everyone got access to certain issues. Those were the challenges then. And there's a reason why they created the value that they have placed on those books now. Should that be the reason that only the people who were able to get them then are the only ones who should be allowed to read and enjoy them? I say no. I say this should actually be something you would want to encourage because it's going to provide a physical version of that history that some of these modern stories are, are referencing. I mean, for a lot of people, sure, if you have the opportunity to get a reprint or something that is always going to be available in a graphic novel form, that's great. But for some of these single issues, some of these certain books, it's simply not possible and hasn't been possible until now. Um, I, I do one of those subscription box things with, with uh, Loot Crate. And the first time that they sent me a facsimile, it was for the Justice League. And there's Justice League, as I've seen so many times in a book, fighting Starro on the cover. And my eyes lit up. There was a part of me, I mean, I, I have a, a time when I'm just going to sit down and open that thing and, and go through everything about it. But having it in my hands, knowing that I didn't care that it was a facsimile, but that I could have that story to read and not just sort of glance at on a computer screen somewhere, it, it made a difference. And I can tell you that it certainly hasn't slowed down my desire to still pick up new titles, but also to feel like because I've got that facsimile, even as a reproduction, I have that connection to that history, one that I wouldn't have otherwise. And one that if I get the chance to get my hands on some reprints uh, or facsimiles, I'm not gonna care about the fact that I can't claim its original value. I'm going to care that I get to reread that story anytime I want, only if it's just by candlelight, but with no internet, no electricity, no yeah. electronics or anything like that. So that's that's where my you know initial response uh, comes from and is based on. And and I also just appreciate the fact that you know he wasn't the only one talking about it. I love that they went ahead and spoke with Joe Hill and they just said, look, there's a reason why these things sell so well if you're an older reader who's got kids who are going crazy, why not give them a chance to read some of these great old stories too? And I thought that was a really good answer that that maybe has a little bit more um, balance to it than than mine, which is just, a, are you kidding me? What's wrong with what? And then yeah. that can just be sort of a, a gut reaction. But I honestly think this is a good thing. And I think time's going to prove uh, not only the industry, but me right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, these facsimile editions, in some ways, they're like little pieces of magic because you know that you're never going to be able to hold an original copy of Detective 27 without, like you say, uh, giving your body to science. It's just not going to happen. And I think we were talking a few weeks back, I think, um, about those brilliant Millennium editions those facsimiles and i love seeing the old ads and everything else with it because it just made me feel like yeah this isn't detective 27 as it was but it's the closest damn thing i'll get and it's a little bit magic and i remember um a friend who was one of these people that always used to think oh steve is still reading comics really and he picked up one of these old facsimile editions and looked through the old ads and he was just fascinated by the old ads. And then by looking at the old ads, then he started reading the book and he said, 
this is one of the most charming things I've ever read. So this is like what Batman and Superman were like when they were first created back when I said uh, 1938 and 1939. He goes that long. So these characters have been going that long. And now a guy <laughs> who used to say to me, Steve, um, you're still reading comics is a comic book fan. And that's directly down to facsimile edition and being able to read those charming, quirky stories. But some of us look back and think, oh, God, really? This is what comics were like. But that can actually inspire and get new readers on because that's where it all started. And for someone who's apparently a a business genius and behind DC and a lot of its success to say that, oh, I don't want these comics to sell virtually every uh, new title I've never missed an issue of Batman Detective in over 35 years. You know, I'm still going to buy every issue and Nightwing and Justice League Dark and uh, Doomsday Clock and Heroes in Crisis and Batman Damned or whatever else. But some fans crave the classics for a reason. They're classics. And as a case in point, uh, a certain uh, clickbaity site, which we won't name, uh, printed the fact that DC is still going to be printing a million on one of these uh, facsimiles and and reprint books and good on them. I mean, including with the news of uh, this new Dark Universe stories and uh, new Dark Universe twists on the death of Superman and Nightfall, that they're actually going to be reprinting the death of Superman and Nightfall um, issues that they, they're based on as facsimiles um, that you can get with these new books too. I mean, if you can get a brand new book with a classic, guys, what do you think about these stories? Um, DC is still going to be printing the reprints whether Dan Didio wants to or not. Brad, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, like I said, if they're selling, then they're going to, if it brings people into the shops, then it's a good thing. And if it gets people uh, reading, that's all a good thing. With all this competition from social media, video games, so much other places where people can put their time, you, you kind of have to have that hook to bring people in. So anything that gets books in hands is a good thing. Uh, and just recently with Krypton, uh, when Krypton came out the first season, they released like a free facsimile of the first World of Krypton issue that I think yes, John Byrne wrote. Indeed. And I he had did, totally yeah. forgotten about that series. And having that in my hands helped me rediscover that whole series again. And I oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that they're popular for a reason. Seth? I, I think. I think I can't help but agree. Yes, they're popular for a reason. And yes, having these in your hands and and also getting to experience them through this dark multiverse lens. It's just a really smart way of of looking back on on something that's really informed the history of now. I mean, there there was a lot that changed because of the comic storylines or that changed in comics because of the storylines in Nightfall and Death of Superman. Um, and the way that they seem to cover so many um, books and the way that the impact, you know, was so, I mean, thoroughly explored. It seemed that in so many ways at that time, there was nothing that those two storylines didn't touch or impact in some way. And I think giving fans the chance to have that back in their hands is just a really smart way to connect them with a history that if you weren't alive then, or if you just weren't into comics at that time, you now have a chance to say, Oh, well, that was my one shot. No, no, no. Here's another opportunity. Pick it up. Get it in your hands and use that to help inform what you're already reading now, because this was the basis for a lot of things you 
might be reading about now or, or might have been uh, a big influence on why stories are told the way they are. Now. Huge uh, opportunity, great advantage for the fans and something that I think DC is really smart to take advantage of and provide in, in what seems like a really smart way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I, I love what you said, Brad. Anything that gets people reading, that's a plus. I could not agree more. That Those are wise words indeed. And um, like you both said, um, the guys who might not have been around, because I've just realized how old I am, that uh, Nightfall was 9293 and... Uh, Death of Superman was 91, 92, and then Return of Superman, 92, 93 as well. So that's actually two or three years before my son was even born. But obviously, because of who his father is, my son has read and devoured and loved those stories. And with the dark multiverse bringing them back, he saw the cover of the uh, Batman and he goes, oh, that's a different take on Nightfall. What's happening there? And he's automatically intrigued about the new stories. So I do believe that the classics can actually get more readers onto the new stuff because they're invested in what's gone before on the characters. So um, are you excited for the uh, Dark Multiverse one-shots that are coming and the fact that we're going to see uh, a new dark twist on stuff like the Judas Contract and stuff as well, Brad? What do you think about the Dark Multiverse uh, news? Oh, yes. I can't wait to see what they do with uh, Judas Contract. And it's a crisis, a dark multiverse crisis right uh, blows my mind because what the anti-monitor is in the regular light universe is so insane transferring that to the dark multiverse just like i can't wait to see what they do with that that just seems absolutely crazy to me so yeah that's definitely one that i'm going to be uh that might be a show up to your comic shop when they open kind of day <laughs> when that one comes out yeah for me yeah so for sure i can't wait uh seth yeah, I love the opportunity that all of these dark multiverse tales can, the twist that, that can be provided. Um, I, I think it's uh, a smart move by doing these first with, uh, you know, the Nightfall storyline and then moving into things like Infinite Crisis, Blackest Night, Judas Contract. Uh, just when you look at the Nightfall description and the idea of, of the, the twist that's being put into play here and the concept of St. Batman. Um, just so much that that's really going to be a lot of fun to to dig into only then just makes my mind go wow okay now take that same idea and put it into the infinite crisis blackest night and judas contract stories those those can be warped in so many fun ways it would it would be you know a disservice almost not to pick them up and enjoy them because you you've read the originals why not see what this twist looks like and just how different it can be and just how much more fun the story can be with this version to enjoy. Great stuff. Absolutely. And I love the way that so many of the current um, DC writers, Peter J. Tomasi is, is one of the ones I, I look at that he was actually a comics editor, not far after those original issues came in and he's gone back to writing and so much of his stuff uh, in Detective, in his one since he took over with 994, has been real look backs and tributes to the stuff he grew up editing and, and grew, up, uh, grew up editing, started out editing and then grew up reading. And again, I see it a lot with Scott Snyder. I see it a lot with uh, Jeff Johns. I see it a lot with... Um, Who's the other guy who's really uh, Robert Ventis's Hawkman's just genius, the way he's tying in decades of sometimes completely contradictory history and making it make sense. And I love the writers who really look back at the stuff and bring it into their work. Um, 
James Tynan the fourth his Justice League Dark stuff so Swamp Thing loving um, and I do prefer the writers who respect what's gone before rather than the ones who just totally overwrite it and think well this is my take um, this is the way forward uh, uh, Brian Bendis to an extent does that and I, I much prefer the opposite where the, re- the past is there to be respected and you can bring so much out of it you don't have to wipe it all out to make your mark so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to the dark multiverse stuff immensely and it's got some great talent behind it and a wealth of magic stories that they can twist and bend like plastic man after too many tequilas i'm so <laughs> looking forward to that really really am uh something else to look forward to is more work from a certain mr jim lee who's been talking about his, his long and just lustrous career and i've followed a lot of it um being much older than you two young whippersnappers um reading back on this uh, article of jim lee looking back brad what do you think about what the man's achieved and what his still his aspirations still are for the future yeah uh, he he's a legend uh and yeah and, and i like what he, the direction that he's taken dc in uh so Reading this article, I just couldn't help but want to be in the audience of this panel and getting one of those sketches. You know, uh, I just uh, I, that was like a really special, special panel. I can tell the man's a legend. You can't overstate his impact on on comics for sure. Seth, with so much that he's accomplished, it's really uh, I'm sure it's got to be a lot of fun to recount all those moments that I'm sure that while he was in the midst of doing it, it was like a blur. But when someone goes, let's look back on all these different things you've done. Let's call out some of these bullet points and you can just tell us what you're thinking about that. It's gotta be fun for him to go, Oh yeah, there's another little time capsule. Let's go ahead and crack that one open and just sort of dig in there for a minute and and think about what was going on then. Um, I love the way he talked about his early experience when he was, you know, going to a comic convention, commissions for 15 bucks a pop go up to your hotel and draw more <laughs> come back down you know it, it seems so so humble and also so far removed from the fanfare that that now seems to come with uh conventions um i also love the fact that he just seems like he he's perpetual he just never stops from when he first appeared on the scene jim lee was one of those names that was on everyone's lips it was always about what was the next project he was doing and now having him take on, you know, more senior responsibilities at DC, you'd think, oh, OK, maybe he's slowing down a bit. But no, this this panel is, hey, I'm going to draw and you're going to lose an hour of your life and hang on. And um, I, I'm going to work on those questions you've got. Oh, by the way, I'm not done. I've got an app called Kahoot <laughs> and uh, there's going to be contests and fans can win sketches like I just paused and went. Okay, so this is supposed to be about what you've done and looking back, but you're also saying, by the way, I'm not done. Here's another new thing I'm doing. Oh, and let's talk about who knows what I might be coming up with next. It just seems to me that this guy just, you know, puts in a fresh pair of Energizer batteries every day, runs them till they're dead, and then does the same thing over again. Because I don't know when he stops. Absolutely. (laughs) And And everything he's done so far, it's like, dude, are you kidding me? What? What what haven't you done? How can you still be going? Um, what do you eat for breakfast? Yeah, and <laughs> still have that 
same level of passion that he did have back in those days when he was on everybody, you know, when he was who if not more somebody so. everybody was talking about. Yeah, he and he has not lost that passion one bit. It, it's like you both said, you both totally hit the nail on the head. Not only is he a legend and deservedly, he's one of the few people that actually has earned that title wholeheartedly. But he's also someone who's not just looking back, but looking forward. And I remember when he first burst onto the scene, um, back during the whole Image era, when Image literally almost stopped Marvel and DC for a loop. And he was just like a big guns and babes kind of artist. But that's what sold comics back then. Comics were much more artist-led and people were picking him up because, oh my God, have you seen this splash page that Jim Lee's drawn? And I used to read his books for the action and I thought, yeah, he's a great artist. He does great action, but Back then, he couldn't draw a dog. He couldn't draw a skyline, but he did, did badass figures. But this guy is just getting better and better and better and better and better. And by the time he hit something like Hush, he was one of the premier comic book artists out there. And he's not waning. He, he His art is progressing and growing and getting better and better. That's why he's still so sought after. And then he's making apps. He's running a whole bunch of DC stuff behind the scenes. He looks like he's actually getting younger every year. Um, so listen, dude, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it because great, absolutely great. And 30 plus year uh, career so far, long may it continue. And um, like I said, DC are on fire right now when it comes to the comics. Say what you like about TV, movies, whatever else. DC Comics right now are on a roll. I can name 20 DC titles that are just outstanding. Uh, I can't say that about many publishers. Um, so awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, the, the DC post-metal world is Whew. a very fun place to be. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. Uh, and as if by magic, <laughs> on that note, Brad, you psychic human you um metal the nth metal metal man is coming we're going to see for the first time a brand new member of this team one of these teams that brought so much joy and fun to me as a kid are coming back to comics and it's about gd time the metal men are back brad what do you think about this piece of news i, I think it's a very a very cool uh, idea and kind of an obvious one too like why not you know you're talking all the you know the nth metal and everything why not bring that into the world of the metal men and they're such quirky characters maybe it's their time to their time to shine in a world where we have a doom patrol tv show and these lesser known yes. but really imaginative characters are getting their due it's it's their time to shine i think so yeah seems like the perfect timing for it seth couldn't agree more about the t- timing it just seems like Nth Metal has played such a pivotal role in the stories that we've had a chance to to experience and, and enjoy, whether you're talking about uh, literally the metal storyline or the byproducts of it, Challenger Mountain. Uh, why not think about one of uh, the teams who this would make the biggest impact on, the Metal Men? I love the team. I remember when I was first getting into comics, uh, something about their design, something about the way I would see them just in uh, on covers in some sort of just little flash moment where I thought, huh, metal men. But because at the time there weren't any current issues being published, I, I would sometimes see them pop up in a Justice League story or, or somewhere else. It wasn't until I, I really got a chance to have some fun with uh, Dr. Magnus in the uh, 52 series 
where I was really just really enjoying myself and loved the the possibility that was shown that I hope that same sort of creative spark is given to this idea because the nth metal metal man metal person sounds really like a lot of fun but also the uh, idea of this sort of storyline where there's a warehouse of the old robot old robots old robots and old versions <laughs> that are junked <laughs> and aren't being rebuilt is a really fun concept to sort of poke at because it's got this wealth of history that the metal men, while they're not always on the, you know, the headlines or the, the front of everything, their, their storyline always seems to be happening in the background and popping up in little periodic moments. And I'm hoping this is one where they get to stay. I, I really like that it can also follow on any of the things that were brought up through the Dark Knight metal uh, storyline that can be used in this beyond just the idea of an nth metal member of the metal men. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything you both said, they're just these quirky, fun characters. But I always found them incredibly thought-provoking. And looking back, I mean, as a kid growing up in the UK in the 70s and, and early 80s, um, robots were just huge from R2-D2 and C-3PO to... Uh, the robots in, in the black hole. I mean, I don't care. That film might be slated, but it's got a really solid place in my heart growing up. And then you find that these characters in the comic books, they're, they're robots. Yeah, sure. But they've got souls. They've got personalities. They've got character. They've got loves and hates and fears. And and they just felt really, really real to me. So when I saw obviously C-3PO, he's a robot. He's a machine, but he's scared and he's nervous. And he's like, um, don't you talk to me like that, R2. And then you get the darker side of it, stuff like Blade Runner and these machines may be machines, but they just want to live. And we created them and Lucifer rebelled against his creator. Will man rebel against God and the angels and will the robots rebel against us? And I just always found that fascinating. And maybe the robots are actually more human than we are. And then series like humans and it's just such a fascinating subject. And to have these characters who, like you say, Seth, I don't remember them ever having an ongoing series that lasted more than a year or two, mm -hmm. the fact that they're being brought back and given another chance with this new member, I'm really excited by it because the kid in me will always love a cool robot character and what's cooler than the Metal Men. Um, so it's just, again, it's a great time to be a comic book fan, um, particularly an older one, I think, that all our uh, dreams and favourite characters are coming back. So I'm very happy. <laughs> Very, very happy indeed. So, uh, comics news covered as well, but we do have to talk about one other little thing because with comics comes comic-based spin-offs and one of the favourites amongst us and amongst everyone that works with us is the action figures. And we wrote about these figures a couple of weeks ago, the new toys that have officially been revealed now at San Diego, um, including the, the figures based on the Batman Turtles animated movie. Oh, damn. Like you said before, selling kidneys and body parts. I'm going to have to because these things look so cool. Brad, what do you think of these lovely new toys? I think that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Batman collections are going to sell like hotcakes. I think fans are going to love those. Uh, personally, I loved the death uh, statue. Uh, kind of like a 40s pinup because I'm such a Sandman fan as is. And every interpretation of that character just makes me happy. So I just, uh, I'm psyched about that. 
Uh, yeah, I mean they're looking they're looking really good, and I kind of like the uh, the Catwoman in the long dress. It's kind of an interesting take on uh, on the character. So yeah, so Seth, when it when it comes to the uh, to these really cool snapshots of these upcoming figures, there there's a lot of them to really you know get excited about. Uh, the first one that that just sort of made me smile was seeing Azrael and just sort of going like, oh wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. And also feeling like it had a bit of that Batman the Animated Series feel to it. Um, I love the uh, the Batman Who Laughs and Talon, as well as the Vampire Batman. I thought those yeah. were really cool. Yeah. Um, I also love the Batman masks. You know, Rebirth and Arkham, uh, the Batman Who Laughs. Those look like these really cool busts, a- as well as the uh, Nightfall and Red Sun versions. I think that's a really great way to take advantage of these titles that are going to be coming out. And the interest that people are going to have and those who are going to be like, man, I want to have that bust of Batman's mask that goes with this book that I really like or I want to get them all. Um, loved what you said about death. Definitely agreed. It had that very timeless sort of pinup feel to it. Felt the same way about uh, Mary Shazam. Um, something about the big white cap and holding the uh, the staff. It, it was just really it was cool. Um, I, I thought the same thing about Huntress. Those were probably the ones that that really sort of leapt out at me um, initially. And then as I was just listening and clicking through, um, really interesting ones with these designed by James Groman, the Killer Croc and the Two-Face. Those are really different from anything I've seen before. And I feel like if you're a collector and you want something that that stands out, these two will probably definitely be on your checklist. Um, Steve, what do you think? Again, you've scooped out my brain like Liv Moore in iZombie and totally taken on all my personality traits, loves and beliefs. Totally in agreement with all of you. From the top, the Selena in the wedding dress is something I fell in love with the moment I saw it. I think Joelle Jones is a genius. Her design for that wedding dress, the fact that it's black and white, it's alluring but not overly revealing it just shows everything that's cat-like and classy about selena i think that's just one of the best pieces of design i've ever seen um azrael in the batman suit um i want to go up and pull out all my nightfall issues again uh just classic all the (laughs) it's just just beautiful and the animated style read look at him and at the batman who laughs the talent figure all the masks and busts and the fact we were talking about red sun and uh the the batman version from that's on there as well as the batman who laughs and tv batman's movie batman's everything else death brad i just want to come over down the phone line and hug you because <laughs> i agree i love that character so much in this version of her actually all the bombshells um yeah. period i just think that whole era is class um brilliant the black batman black and white including i don't know if you saw as well that the todd mcfarlane batman's had a full life-size version made for sdcc which is taller than the actual artist (laughs) himself and it's just gorgeous and then like you said seth that killer croc and two-face i've never seen anything like that and it's got almost like a funko cuteness but almost like a twilight zone weirdness and scariness at the same time I love those. They're different. What terrifies me about those two is picking them up and then they do a whole range and then I will have no money left ever for the rest of time because I'll have to get a whole damn lot of them. That's what scares me about those two. In for a penny, in for a pound? Yeah, well, um, 
Uh, I'll be in for several thousand pounds if this <laughs> keeps on going the way it does. And again, to echo Brad, those Batman Turtles figures, they are going to fly off the shelves yeah. with Halloween and Christmas coming up at the end of the year. <laughs> those are going to sell like hotcakes. And yeah. uh, phew. looking around, okay, it's been floating around the internet uh, over the past few weeks that it has come out that. DC is more popular than Marvel. And looking at these toys and how Batman-centric they are, I think one of the reasons why DC might be more popular than Marvel is because of, Steve, your favorite character, Batman. These, <laughs> all these are so Batman-centric. And it's, you know, what can you say? People love Batman. People it's probably because his... His sub- cast of supporting characters and villains yeah. Yeah. is second to none. I mean, the, the, the Batman family, we're talking Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Damian Wayne, Commissioner Gordon, Alfred, Huntress, um, Catwoman, all of them are just great characters. Uh, Frank Miller himself said it um, when I interviewed him last year that Superman's female villains are virtually non-existent. Batman's got them all. Mm. And actual male villains Honestly, the ones that are really a threat are Brainiac and Luther. Whereas Batman's got Joker, Two Face, Riddler, Scarecrow, Penguin, Untold. So it's just like it's a no-brainer. If there's so many characters, you can dwell on why do well on three or four from another character. But yeah, the fact there's still some diversity. Yeah, yeah. Can't hold a candle to even the Riddler. You know? so, like no. I said. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, and then the you get cool Paladin as well. Go ahead. That I love about these guys is that, uh, you know, when you look at each one, I mean, Batman is so iconic just in his original version, just when you look at his roots. But it feels like it's become so like Batman, his mythos has become so iconic that each version of him ends up becoming iconic in its own way as well. You know, when you're looking at these different masks, or you're looking at these different characters who have been part of uh, his rogues gallery or just part of his uh, ensemble of characters who, who come into his storylines, whether you're going as far as Killer Croc to Catwoman to Batgirl. Um, there's something about each version of them. And when you're talking about them, whether it's in the Red Sun storyline, whether it's Dark Knights, each one in its own way has made itself iconic. That's a rare thing for a character to be able to do. And um, it's really interesting that when you're seeing so much of Batman's influence, it's not like, well, these are all these different things about Batman in one storyline. No, in each one of these storylines, Batman created this iconic identity that we're still telling stories about afterwards so many years, if not decades later. Um, that That's an imprint that is hard to match. Uh, I think you guys gave a perfect example by just comparing, you know, the, the cast of villains that Batman has compared with someone like Superman, mm-hmm. but also the way that each time that they're cast, whether it's in red sun gaslight or any other storyline that, that iconic property is not only signature to that storyline, but is completely reverent to their original versions. And you can't say that about not only too many other main characters, let alone uh, their supporting cast. It, it it really says something about these figures. And Brad, I think you really keyed into the fact that there's a reason why DC is so popular. There's a strong piece of evidence right here to say that Batman's the reason why. Yep, hard to argue with that. I mean, he's been voted top uh, comics book character for 
almost every year for the last decade or more. But obviously, we talked about his induction to the Hall of Fame, and we've talked about Jim Lee today. So what better way to, to sum up Batman than to literally say what Jim Lee said at the Hall of Fame induction? Batman is real in every person who summons the strength and resilience to keep going. That is a superpower. There's no other way to describe it. From the mouth of Jim Lee. um, That's (laughs) it. He he might not be able to fly or have a ring that can bring his imagination to life, but he gets knocked down, he gets back up, and that's life in its purest, simplest form. And I think that's why he's uh, the character I love and the character millions around the world love too. So thanks, Brad. Uh, Maybe you're right. Who could argue with that? So Let him try. (laughs) Yeah. On that note, I think we've covered all the week's news and had a blast doing so, guys. Thank you, as always, for your time, your efforts, and for talking and climbing into my brain and genuinely being awesome. So, gentlemen, once again, as always, tell the world where we can find you and read your marvellous works. Brad. You can find me writing news and reviews at dccomicsnews.com. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, FlickyB1. That's where you can find me. Seth? You can also find me at DC Comics News, where I write reviews. Uh, You can also find me here semi-regular on DC Podcast episodes. And if you're looking for anything else I might do, just type my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story. And go the one that feels the most appealing to you, and we'll talk about it later. Fantastic. And everybody knows that if you want every type of DC Comics news, reviews, interviews, follow DC Comics news and our sister site, Dark Knight News, on every aspect of social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News and DK News Com. The DC Comics News podcast, you can catch us across every platform, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Please, please head over, subscribe, rate and review so we know what we're doing right, what you're loving, what you're not liking so much, so we can just give you the best shows we possibly can. Seth's got his own show every week. He'll tell you about the five favourite DC comics of that week. We're going to be launching a third series very soon, which uh, is near and dear to my heart, where we'll be reviewing and looking back on the entire Batman, the animated series. Yes, that classic show. And with the news from SDCC that Batman Beyond is coming to Blu-ray this year as well. Hopefully, if it's successful, we'll follow in with that too. So a whole lot of great stuff to listen to. You can catch me, Steve J. Ray, on Twitter at LSteveO, which is at E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. You can read all my work across DC Comics News and Dark Knight News just by a simply Google search for Steve J. Ray. And my own personal website, um, Fantastic Universes, just by doing Google search for Fantastic Universes. But this is DC Comics News. We love doing this show for you. Please let us know what you think. And as always, Guide, what does everybody out there need to be doing more of? Read more comics. And the mic is dropped. <laughs>